Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever. Dog. I used to think that this was my town. What a stupid thing to think. I hear you biting off a breakdown. I myself am on the brain. I used to want to be a real man. What's up, freebies? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, my little hamsters? How's everybody doing? Oh boy, I'm tired. I'm so sorry about this erratic schedule. This is just what my life is like right now. I just got back from Dublin a couple days ago, and boy, is my sobriety tired. I don't know. That was tough. Um, not because, look, when I was in Dublin, I said, boy, you guys sure like to drink. Somebody in the front row who I think listens to this podcast. So shout out to you, my friend, said jokingly, sort of jokingly heckled me and said, uh, right, that's racist. And I was like, no, it's not racist. I'm just walking around. <laughs> I was staying downtown. So like, that's where those things tend to be. And I didn't mean anything other than I was walking around going, wow, there's a lot of what's interesting to me, the difference between Dublin. I've never been. Welcome to Three Swings, by the way. <laughs> this is my podcast about baseball and mostly other things. I'm Rhea Butcher, your host. The difference I noticed about Dublin, this is my first time in Europe, kind of pretty much my first time out of the United States. I've been to Mexico, but I haven't really driven through Mexico. I've been deposited in one tiny place and then left, and then I've been to Canada. And Canada does count, but not not when you're like, I've, I haven't been anywhere else. You know, that's kind of the way I look at it. Dublin, the difference to me was like, it was very open and all over and not, and, and I'm talking about on a Wednesday when it seemed like everybody got out of work and then everybody's just hanging out with each other to sort of have fun. You know, I'm not talking about like partying, but everybody was just like out. They have like glasses in the streets, which is amazing to me. Um, but then as the weekend went on, the more intense drinking happened. And then I was like, oh, this is, this is also problematic, but it's not, I wouldn't say any worse or different than here than the United States. So it's not a judgment. It's more just like there was a lot of beer, a lot of beer all over. Um, and I am a person who does not drink anymore. So that was real interesting to refrain from difficult to be around and be kind of alone. Um, so that was fun. But shout out to everybody couple Three Swings fans came to the Dublin shows, so that's very cool. I can't believe my voice reaches all the way over there. I mean, I know that that is how voices work, but 
you know, at the same time, still surprising, and I'm very grateful for it. Um, so a lot has happened in the past couple weeks in baseball, and it feels like I'm being very negative, but if you're on baseball Twitter, and I am, and if, if you're not, and you like baseball, uh, I will. I have a list already going, and I need to re-add some new people to it. Well, I think it's a public open list that you can see on my Twitter. So if you're looking for good voices in Twitter, in Twitter and in baseball, who cover a lot of the same stuff that I cover on this podcast, I highly recommend giving a follow to all those people because there's been some really great pieces on all of the essentially garbage that's been coming out of Major League Baseball for the past couple weeks. Um, and I don't, you know, it's like, man, sometimes I do just want to talk about baseball, but this stuff is too big. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the people that I would consider to be sort of internet baseball friends were just kind of saying, I don't know if I can still love this sport, <laughs> which I fully, hey, I, yeah, I feel it. I really do. Because then when you start to go like, well, I'm just going to pay attention to this. It's like, well, now I'm just ignoring I'm ignoring the really bad things. So then you're in this spot of like, well, now what am I doing? Is this, this isn't good either. I'm just ignoring the bad and going, well, I deserve whatever. It's like, that's like the same with politics. You can't just, I mean, everybody has, you have to have self-care and you have to have moments where you're not focused on how atrocious everything is all the time because it is. But you also can't just say, I'm not going to pay attention to this anymore so it is difficult and i don't know it's it's hard to know how much i want to participate at the very least in like major league baseball um because i say this while right now the opening ceremonies for justine siegel's baseball for all are currently happening in rockford and that is baseball to me that is the game that i love uh people playing it who love it with without judgment, without hatred, without anything but a love of the game and a need to play it, a want to play it, and a place to do so without people telling them, nah, you can't. So uh, I've talked about this, uh, of Justine's organization, a lot, that those nationals are happening now. That doesn't mean that a donation wouldn't mean a lot to them right now. Even $5, any donation will help Justine and help uh, baseball for all help kids have access to the game that they love or the game that they will find that they love. I feel like everybody should get a chance to try the things they want to try, you know? Um, and her organization is, is, is primarily and sort of externally focused on girls in baseball, but that does not mean that they're not an inclusive organization. It just means that within the world of baseball, um, quote, girls are the ones shut out of baseball. And so they want to make sure that they are clear that they are trying to help the, that group of people to uh, gain access to baseball. But they are a very inclusive community of uh, transgender, nonconforming, non-binary kids that want to play baseball. They essentially just want kids to get to play baseball. So... um a great organization doing great things. They're doing nationals all weekend uh, in Rockford, Illinois, playing at Byer Stadium, the actual stadium where the Rockford Peaches played 75 years ago for 10 years. Uh, there are perfect games thrown on that field. I've stood on it. 
I've touched the grass. I've thrown a pitch from the mound. It's an incredible feeling. There are three former players there right now. And some of the best baseball players in the country playing baseball right there. So I'm going to be there this Sunday. I think you're probably hearing this before Sunday. Um, if you're around Rockford, come on out. I'm going to do the closing ceremonies. I'm flying in the day before and flying out a couple hours afterwards. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. I can't wait to see everybody. Can't wait to watch some some awesome baseball and support it and feel that kind of love around a game that I, I truly love. Um, I also just want to make a shout out to my uh, my personal baseball league that I play in because uh, it's just I'm so grateful for all the people that are in that league. Um, I wasn't there for the last game. I'm not going to be there for this game because I'm going to Rockford, so I'll miss that. But like a player uh, got stomped on basically at second, was sliding in, and a dude jumped for the ball, and then when he came down to tag, like stomped his spikes into him by accident it was all accident he had to get stitches and everybody was like trying to get money together for the stitches and like that's the kind of shit that i love about baseball you know it's like we're playing each other we have shit with each other on the field and but then as soon as you're off the field it's like hey we're all we're all making this thing together and we're all trying to be here and just have a good time which is it's so hard to find that these days and just in general i mean not even you know (laughs) Not even the current regime has has done that. It's just hard to do as an adult. And it's hard to, uh, I don't know, create places literally for recreation, literally just for fun. Because, I mean, it is, it's, it's hard out there. It's hard to exist sometimes. And so when you can find a big group of people that are like, hey, I agree on this. And you find this one thing that you can all agree on and all participate in and all take care of together and understand that everybody has to make it work. And even the people that don't really do much, they still show up. They're still there. They don't bring you down. They don't pull it apart. It's good. It's just good. And it gives me, it gives me enough hope to keep going. Um, so I don't know, you know, if you want to play baseball and you've got a couple other people that want to play baseball, just get like a Sandlot style game going, a pickup game. If you can get 10 people, you can play baseball together, you know, and it's a lot of fun. And then you just learn new positions. And the more you play, the more you learn how to play. It's pretty fun and pretty great. Um, and I know this sounds like it is a privilege to be able to do this. Like I 100%, but I'm sharing it because I believe that participation is what really matters and it may not be baseball but it may be other things um politics grassroots organizing education soup kitchen volunteering it's all it's all related you know it's all related i feel like i'm able to talk to people you know it's just like getting yourself out of your comfort zone so uh to get into a comfort zone to finally talk about baseball not sure. Let's just, well, there was something that happened a couple weeks ago that I neglected to mention on the podcast that I just really, it stuck with me. I mean, I'm still thinking about it. A couple weeks ago, there's a Cubs game and uh, this video went viral, as they say. It was making the rounds on MLB TV and, uh, you know, just kind of on all the sports and the MLB Twitter things and stuff. And it, it was essentially like, if you go to the ballpark, don't be this guy. Cause, uh, 
Cubs third base coach uh, walked over to toss a foul ball or out of play ball to uh, a little kid in the front row over on the third base side. And the kid dropped it or it went over his head or something. It got bobbled around. And this dude behind him like snatched it in this very aggressive way and then like handed it to the woman next to him who neither of them looked at the child who was there with who I think was his mom or just a guardian, but I'll say female guardian. And neither of them looked at those two people. And it was very clear that that third base coach was giving it to that kid. Like he was looking at him, he tossed it to him, but threw it and then turned around. So he didn't watch it land, you know? And um, it was such a bizarre and aggressive uh, moment. And people were trying to play it off as like, oh, don't, don't take the ball from a kid when you go to the ballpark. If somebody's tossing the ball like that, you gotta, uh, you know, it's for the kid. Um, and essentially, like, if you're an adult at the ballpark and you catch a ball, you should give it to the to a kid. Which is a good, it's a great rule to follow if if you're at a ballpark. But that particular one did not seem like someone not knowing the rules or or not following it because. Um, the child and the guardian were, uh, I don't know fully like the, the guy that, that stole the ball, gave it to his girlfriend, totally two white Caucasian people surrounded then behind them with more Caucasian white people. And then the child and the guardian were, uh, uh, Middle Eastern Indian, you know, Western West Asian of, of some descent, uh, American. Um, but also I don't know that, but I also don't know that those white people were American either. So I'm just, I'm trying to be as, uh, inclusive in my language here, but also say, you know, these people were white. These two people, uh, were brown skinned people. And I'm not sure because I, I don't have access to either of the groups of people to ask their full heritage, but I'm pointing this out because it matters because it seemed so aggressive and so, evil in the moment and i don't think i was looking into it more than what was presented to me um and it always shocks me when the when people looking at that go oh it's just a simple this because to me it was not at all not at all because there were like three white boys next to the woman that eventually got the ball and they looked at this couple like they were in shock they they were shocked in, in a moment these children that that's what that guy did. And then there was a, another older white guy next to the white guy that stole the ball who started like laughing about it. And then the, the, the guardian and the child were very, were just kind of like, uh, Oh, like in, in, in their own kind of shock. So then later it was making the rounds. And then later there were, there was this one white guy on Twitter, older white guy, like maybe sixties or something give or take started tweeting at all of the instances of this video and saying like, you weren't there. You don't know what happened. What happened was this kid, this was like the fifth ball. This kid got that guy had helped him get in a bunch of other balls and blah, 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 blah. And then that rang incredibly untrue to me because I, I, I sent out that thing and, and was essentially saying what I'm saying now on Twitter. Like this is, does not, it, this is not some silly thing. Like this seems, actually evil to me 
And I don't mean like, oh, this is an evil thing that equals being violent to someone. But what I mean is at the root of this interaction was was an evil feeling to me. And so that also, so I took it down because people were tweeting at me this guy's comments. And like just the whole thing felt very, it felt shaky. I don't know. I don't even know how else to describe it other than like, it just seemed what I saw was what I was saying. You know what I mean? Like what I was saying was what I saw. And I don't know that there's any other explanation for that because like, who cares that this adorable child in the front row is getting too many baseballs. It's your job to take it from him. Your job to say this kid doesn't get any more that you get to decide that. That's also white privilege right there. Even if that is true, even if it is true that that guy was helping him get other baseballs, he gets to decide, oh, this kid doesn't get any more and didn't give it to other kids. That I might maybe buy. I would still be like, that still seems pretty gross. Because to me, I mean, even this would be white privilege, tapping that woman on the shoulder and being like, hey, there's some other kids back here. Do you think maybe we could split up some of these or something? I mean, I still think that's pretty white privilege to to do, but it that is at least a more uh, that would be a more genuine like this is what uh we as a people who go to baseball games are going to do together. But to be the one that gets to decide that for other people is not wh- who why do you get to decide that? Why do you get to decide that this kid has a limit to how many baseballs he's given? You know, I, I don't think you do. I think it just happens the way it happens. And you don't get to decide. But white people believe, we believe that we get to tell everyone what, how everything works and what to do. And you might be like, well, Rhea, weren't you just saying this is how this works? Yes. But what I'm saying is this is how this works because as a culture of baseball, we have decided you should give the ball to a kid. A kid. <laughs> And I don't think that that in and of itself as a decision that we've all made together as adults at a ballpark has a white privilege component to it. That actually just is, you're an adult, that's a child, give the child the ball, period. So anyway, I didn't mention this story before and I had forgotten about it and I, it has still, it's still bothering me. So I just had wanted to bring it up. But um, this this bothers me more uh, but but again, the, the ball thing was it's it has really affected me. I mean, it's not like I walk around going, oh, this ball thing, <laughs> but I really did not like it. I really I really was really affected by it and really. Um, oh, it just I don't it's not good. So moving on to something that is is also not good and I, I do not like uh, is uh, around the trade deadline. The Houston Astros traded with the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> I was reading Ken Giles as I said that. Um, the Houston Astros and the Toronto Blue Jays swapped closers. Excuse me. Um, Astros sent Ken Giles and minor league uh, right-hand pitcher Hector Perez and uh, minor league David Paulino from the Astros in exchange for Right-handed pitcher, Roberto Osuna. Osuna, you might remember from uh, an early episode when I spoke with a tremendous author and huge Blue Jays fan, Stacey May Fowles, author of uh, 
baseball life advice. Um, and we spoke literally on the day that the Osuna news broke. And um, it was difficult. We were trying to be uh, mindful of everything and sort of speak of the issue of domestic violence in baseball in general, because we, at that point, actually did not have details other than he had been arrested for something. So we spoke to it to that degree. Um, but since there's been information sort of piecemealed out, it's very hard to find information, and that's always purposeful. Um, unfortunately, after years and decades of you know, these things, domestic violence, sexual abuse, um, the victim's life and information being flooded out into the public sphere while the uh, person, uh, the accused of, of the assault was sort of protected. Rules have been changed and methods have been changed. And so you don't see as much as of the victim's information, which also means you don't actually see the damage that they sustained. Um, which in some ways is good because, uh, you know, desensitization, desensitization is a thing. Um, and just witnessing trauma on a regular basis as though it is media, I don't think is a good thing. However, it allows for the conversations that we have in baseball and professional sports in general to sustain themselves, which is we don't know what happened. We don't know both sides. And what really is true is that we only know the side of the professional baseball player being arrested. And then we say, well, we don't know what happened because we can't see what he actually did. Um, which reminds me of last season. I won't even mention the guy's name, number one, because I don't have it. And number two, I just don't even want to mention the guy's name. Um, the Houston Astros' number one prospect, who I believe at the time was also baseball's number one prospect, was caught on camera in the AAA uh, baseball park in in a, a stairwell uh beating his girlfriend over and over again i've seen the video it's awful it's traumatic it's terrible and he was immediately let go by the houston astros and many 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 astros had many strong words to say which are appreciated however they now have signed someone who is due in court this very day that I am recording this podcast on domestic assault charges, expected back on the field Saturday when his 75-game suspension ends. Jeff Lunau, Lunau, I don't know how to pronounce it, GM of the Astros, defended the move by offering this statement. We are excited to welcome Roberto Asuna to our team. The due diligence by our front office was unprecedented. We are confident that Osuna is remorseful, has willingly complied with all consequences related to his past behavior, has proactively engaged in counseling, and will fully comply with our zero-tolerance policy related to abuse of, abuse of any kind. At the ensuing press conference, he was asked to clarify the reference to a zero-tolerance policy and offered this contradictory statement. Quite frankly, Lunau said, I believe that you can have a zero-tolerance policy and also have an opportunity to give people second chances when they have made mistakes in the past in other organizations. That's kind of how we put those two things together. It's very convenient to me that you could say you have a zero-tolerance policy and yet be welcoming someone into your clubhouse who at the time he becomes a member of your clubhouse is sitting in court on charges of domestic assault. And I have seen 
on the internet in reporting that the pictures of his then girlfriend are so traumatic and so disgusting that they do not have the words to describe them. So when I watch MLB Network and I see Ken Rosenthal sit there with an earpiece in and be asked about Osuna and be asked about these moves and he says, it's expected to go away, it's expected to be resolved, resolved. It's expected to be resolved. How do you resolve beating someone else who you have said you care about? How does that resolve itself in even 75 days? It does not. And it does not resolve itself when one of those people, the people who beat the other person, is given a second chance before the other person has even been given justice. And I do not care if she is given money because in my mind, it is hush money so that this guy can go join the Houston Astros so they can go back to back. And what, how is that more important? I was just talking about children at the ballpark. We can go on and on and on every day about, oh, you're an adult. You should give that child the ball. We're adults. We're going to give children the impression that you deserve a second chance within the same season that you are violent towards another person that you claim to care about. Not only are there children at the ballpark, there are little girls at the ballpark. There are women at the ballpark. But the major, the organization of Major League Baseball does not care about women. And it does not care about girls because they don't want their money. That's not the money they want. They do not think that women and girls have money. And they do not think that they have value because they only care about monetary value. On Twitter, I tweeted something about Osuna, this Osuna deal. Um, I said I was so upset and I was tweeting many things about this. But what I said was, you can hit a woman and still play Major League Baseball. You just can't be a woman and play Major League Baseball. And it got some traction and I got some responses. Um... And what was interesting to me was the focus on the women not playing baseball part of that statement. Because no one seemed to give a shit about the hitting a woman part. And that, to me, is indicative of a whole issue. It, it is almost like it doesn't matter to people. But it matters to me. It matters to me. How you can put these men back on the field, and not just on the field, at the center of the field, is unfathomable to me. There are not just women and girls, there are men and boys at the stadium. There are men and boys watching going, oh, he deserves a second chance. Do you know how damaging that is culturally to the cultural psyche? It's incredibly damaging. I believe that second chances are a thing. I do. But you have to earn it to me. And I've seen nothing. What of this has been external? How do I know that he's gone through counseling? Where have I seen it? Have I seen this man have to speak to anything he's done? Not one bit. Throughout any of this, I have seen white men speak on television to this guy's experience. Those are the only people that I've seen speak about it. 
I have not even seen a man of color speak about it. Not so far. And I watch a lot of MLB Network. I watch a lot of baseball coverage, and I don't. I have not seen anybody but white men say, presumably straight men, none of them talk about their status because it's assumed that everyone's straight (laughs) until proven otherwise. Uh, The narrative is choked by the privilege. And it... This is actually, I cannot, I do not know how much longer I can support an industry that supports domestic abuse. I don't watch football. I don't participate in in football because it kills its players and it also supports this. If, If Roberto Asuna had been caught taking PEDs, whether he knew he was taking them or not, he would be given a 75-game suspension and not be eligible for the playoffs. He would have been useless. And the Toronto Blue Jays would have dropped him. They would have cut him immediately because he would have held zero value. However, they held on to him because he, he 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 was eligible for the postseason. So they realized, oh, we still have some value in this guy. And we're not going to make a postseason run this year. So we should hold on to this. And that, to me, is disgusting. I feel bad for Blue Jays fans. I do. And in some ways, I feel bad for Astros fans, but I really don't have much left for the Houston Astros. Quite possibly, I, I, I don't have anything left for that organization. Some of this is as a fan from last year because they beat my team. They also beat my team by cheating, and it's cheating that was my team's fault. But I got no love for them. No love for an organization, Justin Verlander, Carlos Correa, both of them, on camera saying... Well, we don't know everything. I don't care how torn up Justin Verlander seemed about it. You're torn up. Tell me you're torn up about it. Tell me you don't think it's a good choice, but you can't. Because you won't put your money where your mouth is. You don't want to lose your job. And that woman's life is less important than a World Series. And that, to me, is disgusting. Not once in Luna's uh, statement did he mention the victim. The Astros cut off questioning at the press conference when the following question was asked by Yahoo Sports' Jeff Passan. Did your unprecedented due diligence include seeking out the story of the alleged victim, any of the witnesses, or simply someone outside baseball? That question remains unanswered. Thank you, bench coach Brett, for such a wonderful statement there. So, Such a wonderfully accurate statement. That question remains unanswered. I literally have chills reading that. The Chicago Cubs picked up a Aroldis Chapman so they could win a World Series. I am sorry for being so anti-Cubs because I know I have a lot of pals that are Cubs fans. I am happy for you and your 108-year wait, but I am sorry that you had to get it with someone so evil. And it is your job to remember that. I have to remember how evil my team is for perpetrating cultural violence every day that they step out on that field, which is why I do not participate in fandom of that team anymore. But the one thing that I will say about that team is when they found out about Aroldis Chapman's domestic violence chances, they said, no thanks. Same with the Dodgers. The Dodgers have also perpetrated cultural violence towards uh, the indigenous people who lived at Chavez Ravine. I think about that every time I go there. And I question myself and my fandom every time. I am not trying to... 
I am not saying I'm some saint or a martyr or anything. I'm simply saying these things cannot go away from your mind. These questions cannot remain unanswered. When will we say enough is enough? You're not getting my money anymore. You're not getting my heart anymore. I can't give it to you. I don't know. I want to go to Dodger Stadium this Friday when the Houston Astros are in town because I want to get a good look at that organization and I want to get a good look at those men who think this is okay. That's what I want to go look at. And I want to think about all the people who lost their ancestral homes for that stadium to be built. Which, by the way, with the loss of Adrian Gonzalez last season, there is no Mexican or Mexican-American player on the Los Angeles Dodgers. Their fan base has a large population of Mexican and Mexican-American fans because of Fernando Valenzuela. But the Dodgers have never paid that back. They've never attempted to. They will gladly take their Los Doyers status, but they do not give it back. And these are the things that make it hard for me to participate in any capacity in Major League Baseball. If you do not care about my people and my friends' people, why should I give a shit about you? I don't know anymore. So moving on to yet another great uh, (laughs) happening in baseball. Uh, In the wake of Josh Hader's racist and homophobic tweets coming to light, similar tweets by Sean Newcomb and Trey Turner were unearthed this week. Newcomb, uh, his his tweets came out uh, after he was one one strike shy of a no-hitter here in Los Angeles, and Chris Taylor broke it up. Um, they found some just again it's same same level and and sort of uh general genre I guess as Josh Hader's tweets. Um, again like s- stupid teenager tone, but I am not dismissing what was the content was. I'm simply saying, um, these are people thinking they can just say these things because they're white teenagers who play baseball. Because the the other thing that we're not talking about is we're looking. This has been a top-down view, like a Major League Baseball down view into high school. But what people are forgetting to remember is, do you remember what high school is like if you were not an athlete? Because athlete in high school, I don't think this, but culturally in this country, when we think athlete, we think about men or boys. And so these guys are the kings of the hallway. So think about what it means for them to have this attitude about these things when they were in high school and not just about them, but about the people around them. And it creates a very caustic living situation for other people because it's not like they were alone. They were tweeting this for other people, their friends, probably. So you're talking about 18 other friends. That's a lot of people. That's a crew of people walking around in high school or in college with this bullshit attitude, and you think they weren't bullying people in the hallways? You can inactively bully people by saying shit out of the side of your mouth in a hallway without pushing somebody up against a locker. There's five, six of you walking up to one person or past one or two people saying this shit to them. Everyone's gone to high school. Everyone who's not in high school, who's not in elementary school that listens to this, went to high school. Unless you were homeschooled, then you didn't. 
but you probably still experience this in some way, shape, or form. And this is why you cannot simply say, well, they were a kid. Yeah, they were a kid around other kids who they treated badly by saying and doing and acting these things out to whatever degree. So Newcomb's apology was, I just wanted to apologize for any insensitive material, Newcomb said. It was a long time ago, six or seven years ago, saying some stupid stuff with friends. There you go. See? So number one, this is not an apology because it's not, it's not taking responsibility for what actually happened. It's saying, sorry if you were offended by something I said. That's not an apology. That's you going, yeah, I don't want to deal with this, but if I don't say anything, I might lose my job. That's what that is. So Trey Turner's apology, personally, I thought was much better. Um, Trey Turner was more emotional than I've ever seen him meeting with reporters just now. Apologized to the LGBT, African-American, and special needs communities, was tearing up for a lot of it. He supposedly met with... uh, Dave Martinez and actually talked about how this affected people um, and actually spoke with spoke with other people and was told why it is bad, which is something that I think has been missing with Josh Hader and with Sean Newcomb. What I think in those two cases is he spoke with white men who told him he was okay and you just got to do this and you'll get out of it or whatever. Trey Turner's statement that was issued and also, I believe, spoken, he said, there are no excuses for my insensitive and offensive language on Twitter. There you go. I am sincerely sorry for those tweets and apologize wholeheartedly. I believe people who know me understand those regrettable actions do not reflect my values or who I am, but I understand the hurtful nature of such language and am sorry to have brought any negative light to the Nationals organization, myself, or the game I love. That is an apology. That is an acceptance. That is accepting responsibility and apologizing for your actions. Specifically and thoroughly. Could it have been slightly better? Probably. But he said he was sorry for his tweets and he apologizes wholeheartedly. There are no excuses for my insensitive and offensive language on Twitter. There you go. That's actually how you apologize. You say what it was and you apologize for it. And then you back it up with actions. A lot of these MLB network people have been saying, oh, the actions speak louder than words. Well, for right now, the words speak louder than the actions because there are no actions. You're just saying words that mean nothing. Newcomb is scheduled to meet with Billy Bean this week and will be required to take diversity training. Bean is MLB's vice president for social responsibility and inclusion. He is a former big league outfielder who retired in 1995 and came up publicly in 1999. There was a lot of reference to him on MLB Network this week when talking about the Newcomb and Trey Turner issues. Funny that they didn't bring him on the show to speak for himself, and I had to watch four straight white people, one of them being a woman, talk about what they thought about this uh, with the Roberto Clemente picture sitting in the middle of them. You cannot have a full conversation about what these words mean and how they affect people if you do not have the people that they affect in the conversation. 
You can make excuses and put words into the mouths of the people who are affected and you can tell yourself everything's fine and then end of conversation. You'll never learn why it is bad if you do not speak to the people who say this is bad because this affects me. Sean Doolittle, favorite of the show, teammate to Trey Turner and Daniel Murphy, who you might remember, Washington National second baseman, who's very vocally against gay people. Um, Sean issued a, a Twitter thread, which I did retweet one section of, uh, which is is fully worth the read. I almost feel like reading it to you right now because I cannot tell you how much I appreciate a major league baseball player, especially one who is straight and white, being so publicly open about these thoughts and feelings. He is putting his career on the line to say these things. So it's been a tough couple weeks for baseball on Twitter. It sucks to see racist and homophobic language coming from inside our league, a league I'm so proud to be a part of that I've worked really hard to make a more accepting and inclusive place for all our fans to enjoy. We have to start caring as much about the content of the posts as we do about when they are made and how they came to light. The answer isn't for athletes to leave social media. Social media media can be great for an athlete. I met my wife on Twitter. Long story. It helps athletes share their stories and personalities and connect with their community. Besides, it's not like you can accidentally post a slur. A lot of the tweets that have surfaced are from several years ago, from a time in their lives when they may not have realized the impact those words have. But as you learn from and grow out of that youthful indiscretion, delete those posts to reflect that growth. Between all the people you meet and the places you go, there is a lot of opportunity for personal growth in baseball. It's entirely possible that those old posts no longer reflect that person's views, but actions will speak louder than words. It's a reminder that words matter and that the impact of the words matter more than the intent. That's a big, that's a big one. Rather than feeling like this platform makes us targets and we have to censor ourselves, find a way to use the platform to lift others up and make a positive impact. It can be tough for athletes to understand why these words are so hurtful. Most of us have been at the top of the food chain since high school, immune to insults. When all you've known is success and triumph, it can be difficult to empathize with feeling vulnerable or marginalized. Homophobic slurs are, used, are still used to make people feel soft or weak or otherwise inferior, which is bullshit. Some of the strongest people I know are from the LGBTQIA community. It takes courage to be your true self when your identity has been used as an insult. <clears throat> or a pejorative. It's a privilege to play in the major leagues we have an obligation to leave the game better than we found it. There's no place for racism, insensitive language, or even casual homophobia. I hope we can learn from this and make the MLB a place where all our fans feel welcome. I think I'm going to leave it there this week. I just want to say thanks to everybody for listening. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to make this podcast. I hope that 
I hope that you tell people that you think might like it. And I hope that you hear Sean's words and live them. Because I'm going to also do that. So thank you for listening this week. I'll see you next week. This has been Three Swings. I'm your host, Rhea Butcher. And if you liked it, you liked it.